For tuning in to Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends, one of the most informative and entertaining talk radio shows today. From social issues and trending topics to sex and relationships, no subject is ever taboo. So join us now for real people, real topics, real talk. Let's face it. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. It is Wednesday, August the 17th. Yeah. I got to get fine. I got to find myself. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We are happy to be here. We have a big show for everybody. Um, In the studio joining me, we have Sarita Shares, and we have Mr. Nate Whitfield. Welcome back to the show. And, of course, we have the world's greatest publicist, Nikki Curry, who's going to be on Facebook Live. Thank you for being here, Nikki. Thank you for having me. So, Miss Sarita... Tell everybody how wonderful you are, sweetheart. Hello, everyone. I am just so ecstatic to be here. This is an amazing show, and I'm glad you all are tuning in. Um, Just a little bit about myself. I am Sarita Weldon, and I go by Sarita Shares. I am the purpose queen. If it doesn't have purpose, it doesn't make sense. So pretty much I started Sarita Shares from a broken place. You know, a lot of times we don't like to talk about it. We don't like to be transparent. But I'm very transparent. So for those of you who have been following me for a while, you kind of know my story. Um, I was that pretty on the outside, but a million and one broken pieces on the inside. And luckily, the relationship that I have with God, he was able to sit me down and allow me to submit to his will. And that's when things started to change in my life. So I really find so much inspiration, so much just life and uh-huh. being able to speak life and purpose into other people. So I started Sarita Shares LLC as a way to help women and men and anyone interested in living a life of purpose. Living in purpose with purpose is just what life is all about. Awesome. And how can people follow you? Um, I am on all social media as far as Instagram, mm-hmm. Twitter, Facebook, and Periscope at Sarita Shares. And you can also go to my website. It will be launching shortly, and that's SaritaShares.com. And how are you spelling Sarita? So they know. Um, S-A-R-I-T-A Shares, normal spelling, S-H-A-R-E-S. And Mr. Nate Whitfield. Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> oh, I tell Mess. you, I am so happy to be back today oh, here he goes. because I got so much to tell the audience. Well, well, <laughs> But. I'm so glad to be here with my girlfriend, Sarita. I love this young lady. She's a phenomenal woman. Yes. And I knew a phenomenal woman had to meet the greatest man on earth. God. Uh. <laughs> Y'all thought I was going to say Will. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Mm. <laughs> but I'm glad to be here tonight. Mm. And Will has put together an awesome show for this evening. Yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, you know what? We have calling in, like I said, Junior from the Steve Harvey Morning Show. Um, he's going to be in town this weekend, so he will be calling in very, very shortly. But um, did you guys hear about um, what's his name? What is his name? Who? I forgot his name. Dion Sanders. Dion Sanders. His son. You know, he was tweeting. You know, you gotta be careful with with what you do on social media. I'm learning that. I'm learning mm-hmm. that. But you know, he was trying to be about that life, be about that life, and he. Um, did a tweet. Let me read to you this tweet that this young man did mm-hmm. about some donuts. <laughs> some donuts. Deion Sanders said that. Um, What's it going to oh. take to get you 
into this room. Well, you know what? We can't do it right now. Our guest of honor is calling in. Welcome to the show. How are you, Junior? Hello? Uh, can you hear me? Yes, I can. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, man. How you doing, brother? Doing good. We're good. Good to have you on, have you on the well, show. Thank y'all for having me, man. I you're, appreciate it. You are so welcome. So you're coming in town this weekend. We're excited to have you. Um, we're going to be sitting up front, hopefully, so you can, you know, pick on us a little bit. But... We wanted to jump right in. You know, you you you've done a lot. You've opened for, um, you traveled with Aretha Franklin, Frankie Beverly, and Mays, um, and, and you're one of the premier acts on the Ricky Smiley um, and Friends show. Not to mention, you know, you've done your your military tours and your college tours. When did all of this kick off for you? How did it all happen for you? Oh man, it started a long time ago. I mean, we gotta go back to '99, man. I, um, I made a choice at a young age to pursue this uh, this career. You know, the Ricky Smiley and Friends tour was the first tour that I was a part of, man. But, um, you know, one thing led to another. If you just stay focused on what the goal was, man, and, you know, that was to, to, to get out and, and make this a career. And, um, you know, it took a lot of hard work. It was not always, uh, like I say, it, it just didn't start overnight. You know, your overnight success don't start overnight, dog. It, it, it is a long, long process. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I just stuck with it, man. And this is what you see today, man. It's Junior on the Steve Harvey Morning Show, Monday through Friday, 6 to 10, the best radio show in the land, yeah. if I must say so myself. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so, let me ask you this. Where do you get yeah. your inspiration for your comedy material? Um, You know, life. Uh, a lot of my material comes straight out of life. I don't, I don't really have time <laughs> to sit up here and make none of this stuff up. But this is just stuff, man. I come from a family that was just, even though, you know, we didn't have a lot, you know, it was always something funny going on anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that whole thing about smiling even when it's tough. Right. You know, and we sit up and laugh about, you know, the you know all kinds of stuff. It didn't matter if the, if the lights got cut off, if it wasn't nothing but just served sandwiches in there. You know, it was, you know, the, the music that was playing then and, you know, just all the stuff that you grew up with, man. But then in these situations with family members on drugs and how we had to handle that and you know it's just stuff that I've seen over in my life man that would just be sometimes just be oh so unbelievable and then these people be related to you mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying you know and it's just you know my comedy comes strictly from just you know just straight at you it's not nothing you got to figure out you know we just come in here to laugh mm-hmm. our behinds off that's all we come to do I don't have no set it up over here and over there. This is just straight in your face comedy. That's that's what I've been around, you know, because everybody in my family been direct, you know. Uh-huh. You know, so uh-huh. that's how my comedy is. It's just straight direct right in your face. How long have you been in the business? Uh, this coming October 30th makes uh, 17 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, 17 years, man. Hey, Junior, this is Nate. How are you doing today? Hey, what's up, Nate? How hey, you doing, brother? I'm really good, man. So, you're a regular member on the Steve, Steve Harvey Morning Show, you know, delivering daily funny tips as Junior. Um, y'all come on, I, be, I believe, about 7.48 a.m., Monday through Thursday. So, how uh-huh. did you first connect with Steve Harvey, and what was it like working with him? Um, Man, this is crazy, man. The first time I actually met Steve Harvey, it was so funny. It was in L.A. back in 2002. And um, Steve had this company called uh, New Out Man. They were having a talent showcase. Now, I lived in Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. 
But his business partner at the time, Rashawn McDonald, said, hey, man, why don't you come out here to L.A. and do this do this showcase? And it wasn't even a comedy show. It was an acting thing. We were doing a dramatic scene, me and this other uh, uh, comedian. We were doing this dramatic scene. And so we go out there, and they've already been rehearsing for like three weeks. So we were in Houston rehearsing our scene. And then when we got down there, we had to go to rehearsals and all that. So I didn't see Steve until the night before the uh, uh, run-through. And as we did the run-through the night before the main showcase, uh, Steve saw the scene, and he looked at me and said, hey, man, I'm going to be seeing you again. And that was in 2002. Then Steve didn't show back up for another seven years. By 2009, I get a phone call out of nowhere saying, hey, man, uh, Mr. Harvey wants to know if you want to open up for him in Miami. Oh, that's mm. awesome. Wow. I was like, I'm trying to figure out who in the world said no that many times. <laughs> ain't no way. I, man, this ain't supposed to work out like this. Uh-huh. I mean, for real. Who is all the people? I mean, from, you know, he's worked with everybody. Exactly. You know, like everybody said no. But once again, just being in the right place at the right time, uh-huh. I said, yeah, I, I'll be down there when y'all want me to leave. So, man, they gave me a ticket. I flew down to Miami, did the show. As I finished the show, they came back to me and said, hey, man, Mr. Harvey wants to know if you want to do uh, Philadelphia with him. What? Yeah, I want to do Philadelphia. Then Philadelphia led to Nashville. Nashville led to Dallas. And then, next, you know, man, I get a phone call saying, hey, man, we want to give you a job on the morning show. Oh, man. And, you know, it, but it was seven years later, man. It was from 2002 to 2009 before I saw Steve again. It was that's awesome. That's awesome. So, so Junior, let's move to something a little bit different. You founded um, Cures Hope Foundation Incorporated, you know, where you're working to change the shape of sickle cell disease. Yeah. So why is this issue so important to you? First of all, let me just say how good y'all research is. This is really good, <laughs> I must give y'all credit for that. That is outstanding. Y'all even went and found the slogan. <laughs> I love that, man. Yes, this is, this is very important to me for a simple reason, because I have sickle cell. Oh, okay. You know, and right there, you know, there's um, this ongoing battle with sickle cell and funding and getting the uh, the uh, attention it deserves. And um, and it was a very simple decision that I was going to start a foundation, um, not just to help um, families dealing with people with sickle cell or adults or children, you know, but my idea of what this foundation is for is to change the mindset of of how we look at people with sickle cell. Right, right. You know, it was it was really crazy because it was actually uh, Rashawn McDonald's and Mr. Harvey's idea for me to even uh, start speaking about sickle cell because I never talked about it. Right, right. One reason why not because I was ashamed of it, just I didn't know anybody with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't. I never knew anybody with sickle cell, so it was kind of hard to discuss it if you don't know anybody that has it, mm-hmm. or it's not something people can commonly uh, identify with, you know, like in my family, I'm the only one with it, mm-hmm. so it was just normal if I go in the hospital, you know, everybody already knew what, it, what was going on, mm-hmm. but I didn't know outside of me, I really didn't know anybody else, and I really, I really, really lit up when I went to uh, the uh, Sickle Cell Disease Association of America's National Convention. And I went to the National Convention, and I found other people who understood what I was going through. Right. Uh, it was like a light went on, man, because, you know, I was I was at all the wrong causes. Not that they were bad causes that I was supporting. I just didn't know we had our own cause. Mm-hmm. And I'm all down at the lupus walks. So I'm right. at the breast cancer walk. 
you know, I'm I'm doing all these things and did not know that we had our own our own group that we could belong to. Exactly. And, and it was you know, it was really cool to see other beautiful people that had the same thing that I had and understood exactly what was happening. Mm-hmm. And that's when um, you know, after that man I started a foundation to change the mindset of like, hey, yeah, you can you can have a successful life. You don't. It's not over because you have sickle cell. Because I feel a lot of them have uh, a defeated mentality, man. Some of them just, you know, they no. There was no examples. Like for me, there was no examples of people living successful with sickle cell. Mm-hmm. You know, because I've I've been on the receiving end of when the doctor tell you that you ain't gonna live past eleven. Mm. You know, you know, I'm you know I'm 38 years old now, man. I just had a birthday and everything. I'm 38 years old, and they told me I was gonna live past eleven. So if I'm if I'm not mistaken, isn't just a disease that pretty much affects our community, the black community, um, disproportionately? Well, that's what that's what they want you to believe. But see, the way I look at sickle cell is on a global level. Mm-hmm. This is a world issue. Okay. Now, predominantly here in this country, yes, but on a global level, it affects everybody. Okay. You know, see, so that that. Is my mindset or how I view it? I view it as a, as a global issue. Uh, in America, it does affect primarily African Americans, but globally, it affects us all. There are there are whites, blacks, Mexicans, Haitians, Jamaicans, uh, Indians, Asians, Filipinos. Uh, everybody has a sickle cell disease or sickle cell trait. Okay. Now you look at it from that point of view, and now you can get a scope of, wow, how this is worldwide. But we just deal with it here in America, and, and it's, it's just primarily us. But it's really Africa. Uh, we're all running all through Africa. I mean, it, it, you know, it's just, it, it's, just, it's just a worldwide global disease, man. Mm-hmm. That's how I view it. Okay. You know what, Junior? This is Sarita, and, you know, this is such an amazing... I'm sorry, what's your name, sweetie? Sarita. Sarita? Yes. Hey, Sharita. Hey. <laughs> no, I just wanted to speak because, you know, I, we didn't get to really speak. We, I got on the phone. Y'all just went to the interview. I didn't know we were up. <laughs> hey, Junior, what's going on? Listen, so listen here. So you started on the Rick Smart and Friends tour. You we, just went we right on into this. I didn't even man. know. I had to put my burger down. <laughs> You're a busy man. You're a busy man. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. Go ahead, Sharita. Um, I, I think it's awesome that you have this foundation. I actually, I don't have the disease, but I actually have sickle cell trait. So um, it's very oh, inspiring wow, awesome. that, you know, I'm you're not, doing I mean it. like that, but that's yeah. good that you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I feel you. And I have a lot of, you know, friends that go through that. So definitely, I think it's amazing that you're bringing awareness to this, especially in our community. So I wanted to ask you, in what ways does Here's Hope Foundation help those affected with sickle cell disease now and in the future? Well, our goal now is to start programs to help in communities where, uh, there ever may be a, a, a need for families with um, sickle cell. As far as if a child goes into the hospital, we want to be able to be there to pay for it, sit it for you, until you be able to, you know, you go to work. Because, you see, sickle cell only does not just affect one person. Mm-hmm. When somebody with sickle cell goes into the hospital, that infects an entire family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That means people have to take off work. And when you take off work, that's funds that's lost. That's time that's lost. So, you know, we want to be able to help and supplement and, and help in families some kind of way. If there's a doctor's bill you're unable to pay, we want to try to help pay that. 
there's so many areas that we have. There's so much stuff that we're going to be able to do with Cures Hope. Um, also, one of my biggest things is, though, is finding a way to get better health care yeah. for people with sickle cell. Because one of, the, one of the issues is the lack of education between the patient and the doctors and the nurses. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, we've we've been labeled as drug seekers, and that's not even the case. Yeah. You know, and so there's a, but but the only issue is a lack of education exactly. amongst uh, between the doctors and you know and 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 the patients. And the reason for that being is is the fact that you know we don't spend enough time educating each other. Right. That's true. Because your primary health care physician, his background may may not be specifically in sickle cell. Exactly. And so, you know, and you know, as a patient, you may be up on what the latest treatment is. And so, you know, we want to be able to go and say, Hey, listen, we want to get funded. We want centers, man. We have (laughs) doctors are thinking of centers in areas to where there are highly concentrated areas of sickle cell. So there's a hospital there that is specifically designed to treat patients with sickle cell. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. That's that's highly needed nationwide. It is. It really is. So when you get there to the hospital, they know exactly how to treat you. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing, you know, like last time I was in the hospital, man, about a year and a half ago, uh, the doctor came in, and I told him where I was hurting at, you know, causes a lot of tremendous pain. So I was having pains in my in my legs, my back, my chest, and my shoulders. Do you know the doctor came in and just sat his heavy hand right on my shoulder? Mm-hmm. Wow. How we doing? I said, oh, read the chart. <laughs> read the chart. Read the chart. <laughs> I mean, man, I couldn't believe he came in and did that. Just had his hand right down on my shoulder. Wow. I said, I read the chart. Yes. I wasn't even sleep no more. Man. <laughs> man. So there's a long way we have to go, man, but I really do believe that it's possible. I mean, it is. That's why I named it Kier's Hope. I didn't name it Junior's Hope. I didn't name it after anything. I named it after Kier myself because I'm a patient too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's my hope. It really is my hope that one day, man, that, a kid would not have to go through what I had to go through. Like if the price, man, if the price was me for me to lay down my life and it would end all single cell, then I'd be gone tomorrow. That's good. I mean, it's it's that serious with me. It runs that deep. Exactly. And it's good that you have this platform to bring about a greater awareness of it. But Saturday, August the 27th, you're doing an event where you're walking. Can you tell us more about that and how people can get involved and help with yeah. that cause? Man, that is the, um, the, 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 it's the Walk with the Stars. It's the, it's the National Sickle Cell Walk. Um, it is going to be a great function, man. This is, you know, we have a goal to raise about $400,000. Wow. I think that we're going to make this goal. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to be out there, man. You get to walk with the stars. Now, they didn't tell me what other stars are going to be out there. I, I don't know, but I know I'm going to be out there. Mm-hmm. Though. It's at uh, Canton, Waterfront, um, Canton Waterfront Park uh, in um, 3001 Boston Street, Baltimore, Maryland, man. And it's a, it's a, it's a walking 5K run. I think it's going to be fantastic if y'all come out and support me on this. This is really, really, really important to this entire nation that we show up and support this. Um, if you want to register to walk, just go to Sickle Cell Nation. Uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, Sickle Cell National Walk dot org. That's Sickle Cell National Walk dot org, mm-hmm. 
and it's very important you can register right there. And if you're not going to walk, you can still donate. You can sponsor a team. Mm -hmm. But we'll be out there, man. Um, I know it's a 5K walk and run, uh, but you, I guarantee you I will be walking. <laughs> Sometimes I, I may you pass you on a bike. <laughs> I may have a moped. Look, don't judge me. I have sickle cell people. This is difficult. I'm, trying, I'm doing my best. Well, Please come on out here and help me with this, man. This is going to go a long way. For a lot of people, this is going to support uh, programs, uh, treatment facilities, stuff that we have to have mm -hmm. because our funding is not as high as it should be from the government. Everybody thinks we get a lot of money from the government. No, we don't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we we don't. If you understand what I'm saying, yeah, I got you. we don't get a lot of funding from mm -hmm. the government. Okay, uh, you know, as 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 you know, like as much as money they give out for breast cancer, mm -hmm. as much as they give out for lupus. As much as they give out for all these other diseases, we're not up there. Well, what you know, it, it almost feels like the money the government gives us is hush money. Mm. Mm. And wow. so, and it just you know, it's up to us. This is, is this is an issue that we're gonna have to deal with, mm -hmm. and we're gonna have to support it. Right. In this country, we're gonna have to get out here, and it's gonna take functions like these walks. And man, these walks, man, I've done these walks, man. These walks are a lot of fun. I ain't never been to walks and run. It's some runners. It's people that just like, like to run and will pay to run. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so man, like it's going to gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah. So this is happening on the 27th of August, which is about uh, almost, what, nine days away? Yeah. Yeah, yeah man, up, about nine up. days away, man. And so we really want y'all to come out and support us. And this is going to be a lot of fun, man. So I want to see everybody out there, awesome. including y'all. I'm on y'all show. Ooh, okay. <laughs> and well, if y'all don't come, just donate then, please. Okay, all right. We'll, we'll we, we got you. We could do that. <laughs> so um, what's next for you in your career, and how can people follow you on social media? Uh, the next thing for my career, man, is, um, you know, I want to get into um, some acting. You know, that's something that I think I'm ready for. Um, also, man, I just, I'm still going to tour doing stand-up. That's my... My first passion, my first love. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you want to follow me on social media, if you just uh, want to see what's going on in Junior's world, well, you yeah. can follow me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Junior, J-U-N-I-O-R-S-H-M-S. -S. You know, um, if you send me a message and stuff, I do respond. It may take me some time, but I eventually try to get back to everyone. Okay, so when I follow and, uh, you, Junior, are you going to follow us back? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. If you ask, if you if you want me to follow, you, if you ask me to follow you back, because you know I don't know if people want me following. You know, <laughs> you know I don't know if you really want you yeah, to see yeah. you waking up in your robe and stuff, and you to post it. You may not want that. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. If you ask me to follow, you, I'll follow you right on back. I have no problem. There's okay. plenty of fans that I follow. You know, they because they ask me. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. and and then this weekend here at Virginia Beach at the Funny Bone, you'll be here two days, oh. Friday and Damn. Saturday, right? Yes, um, sir. Yeah, two shows. What 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 times are the shows? The shows eight are on eight, eight and ten thirty on Friday, okay. and seven and nine thirty on Saturday. Okay, you'll see me ten ten thirty on Friday. Ten thirty on Friday. You'll see me at ten thirty on Friday. Yeah, brother, come on in. Come on in there yeah. and get this. This is great medicine. Yes. This is really. If you have not seen me do stand up live, this is way different than the radio. Well, okay. I'm excited. Yeah, we're excited. Yeah, because I can cuss it and say. Oh, okay. I was about to say it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I guarantee you, I'll probably say that in <laughs> man, I mean, but it's gonna be funny, man. It's a, it's a lot of fun, man. I get y'all gonna get to hear about my life and 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 some of the people that I that are involved in my life, and then 
some of the issues that I feel are important for me to bring light to, you know. And, uh, man, it's it's really a blessing, man, to go in there and allow people to get away from their problems and they right, trouble for right. a couple hours. And Place land. to escape. Exactly. Man, it's a great way to escape. I mean, if you have never been to a comedy show, you'll be a regular, man, because it all starts in comedy clubs. You know, everybody right. has to go through this process of going to these comedy clubs and coming. And I like the comedy clubs because it's more personal and it's more intimate. You know, you know, we do these arenas and stuff like that. It's just not as, as intimate and it's not as as close as it is when you go to a comedy club. When mm-hmm. you come in there, man, I can feel y'all's energy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel it. Mm-hmm. And it, that's what gets us excited to come out here and put on the best show. You know, me, I come out, it's like a game for me. It's like me versus you, and I must win every uh-huh. time. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome, Junior. Thank you for coming on the show. We're going to tune in to you Monday through Thursday on the Steve Harvey morning show, and then we're going to see you on this Friday Definitely night. Definitely see you this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah dog. Yeah. I, can't, I can't wait, man. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about... I am really excited, man, to come back. And We're excited this, to have you know, in I think summer off. I only did a couple of shows this summer, so this is like my first show of the fall. Oh, wow. Going okay. into the fall season, so this is going to be outstanding, man. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks for calling into the show, and we'll see you this weekend. Hey, thank you all so much. God bless you. all be good. You too, too. And keep the show going. Thank you. We will. Like thank you, man. All right, now. All right. He was good. I'm going to be a comedian. Gonna, I told you you should be. I'm going to be a comedian. They have um, amateur night. But I'm not an amateur. Okay. That's the problem. I'm not an amateur. Oh, okay. Jesus. Can I be well, what's less than an amateur? Yeah. I'm a break-in. <laughs> I don't know what's less than an amateur. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so while we're waiting for our next guest to call in, Miss Allison Carroll, she um, is a uh, decluttering expert. Mm. Do you have, Nate, you have a lot of clutter in your life. Oh, no, I got rid of it last year. Oh. On- <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, was that a little shit? Oh, it's cold in here. I was talking about your truck. But okay. <laughs> All right. Do, do you have any excess clutter in your life that is maybe slowing things down? I do, actually. You do? You do. <laughs> we'll come back to this. Exactly, exactly. Well, our our first guest that's calling in is Allison Carroll. She's a decluttering expert. You know what? I'm going to let her tell you about what she does. Hi, Allison. How are you? Great. How are you? We're doing well. Waiting for you to call in. Thanks for calling in. Um, we want to just start with finding out exactly who who you are, and then exactly what is a decluttering expert. Um, okay, well, um, I'm not sure about the who you are statement, but um, you who know, what a cluttering expert is, is is somebody who goes into homes and offices and 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 helps people decide, you know, what are the things that you really need in your life? What are the things that are going to make you happier and healthier and more productive in your life? And I also teach you some five basic life skills that allow you to take these skills and not only declutter the physical aspects of your life, but also the emotional and spiritual, because at the bottom of all that clutter is the real true you that wants to come out. And when you start living your life from that authentic state, it's really easy to start making better decisions for yourself and to see your life showing up in a better, happier, more productive way. Oh, okay, okay. Hi, Allison, this is Sarita. So I want to ask you a question. Um, What steps can be taken to start learning how to make small self-love based decisions and how does organizing fit in with all of that? Okay, well again, as I just mentioned, um, we have um, five basic life skills that organizing is really teaching a person and that's how to set priorities, 
how to um, set healthy boundaries for yourself, how to make small self-love-based decisions, how to create and identify systems, and also how to build up your emotional intelligence, which is also your intuition. Hmm. And when you start identifying what your priorities are and setting boundaries, it enables you to then, you know, as you go about through your day, to make better decisions for yourself. So say you're going to the grocery store and your priority is to eat healthier, and you set boundaries of, okay, I'm not going to pick up anything with sugar, so then when you pick up, you know, that donut because you're having a craving to go, should I or shouldn't I, that's the opportunity using your priorities and your boundaries and your self-love-based decision to go, is this a good choice for me or not? And when you're dealing with, you know, other clutter in your home of, you know, if, do I enjoy this shirt or not anymore? Should I get rid of it or should I not? It's really about, you know, is this making my life better, happier, more productive or not? And when you keep using that as your guide to go through your life, it becomes easier to continue making those decisions. But when you have things like, you know, fear and guilt and, and, and stress building up, it, it is a lot harder for you to continue making good decisions. So these steps, these life skills help you break it down into smaller steps so that you can make the right decision for yourself and that things do start looking better because you're getting rid of the things that don't mean anything to you any longer. So Allison, you've been doing this for a while and why are people accumulating so much clutter and how is this clutter affecting our health, energy, and producti productivity levels? You know, we are producing, we're, we're, we're picking up clutter because of about five different things. Number one, our Western society, we're told constantly that we should have more, you know, more equals success. So the more cars and money and, and job, you know, and, and, and hours that you work, this is supposed to be better. This is what we think is a better way of life. So we've got that. We also have marketing that hits us every day mm -hmm. that basically tells us we're not enough until we buy their stuff. Exactly. Um, we also have a fear-based media. So, you know, by what, after you watch the news, you're terrified of absolutely anything, and you really want to create safety. And sometimes you take on those physical things because it makes you feel safer. Another thing is family. If you were brought up in a family who didn't teach you these life skills, if there was a lot of chaos going on, or in the opposite direction, there was so much control. Control, you're not going to have learned these. You just don't know the steps that you're going to take. And so you don't even notice that clutter is happening because this is how you've lived your life. And then the last thing is, um, you know, overwhelm. You know, it just becomes, the clutter becomes so overwhelming that you sort of end up in apathy and people end up shutting down and reacting sort of like a deer in headlights because they just don't know what steps to take next and so they just don't take any hoping that eventually something will occur mm. although when that happens that usually occurs against them not for them mm, not for me. yeah okay so you said earlier that you do this for individuals as well as businesses so in, in yeah. all of your work that you've done what tends to keep people stuck you know when they're trying to become more organized and then what can we do to move past that indecisiveness well, people get stuck because they're in overwhelm. There's, they've built up a lot of fear, of guilt, of shame, of apathy, you know, within their space. 
Mm-hmm. And so, again, they act like a deer in headlights. They, they don't want to make decisions. It's, another thing is that it's really hard for people to take responsibility of this is what I brought in, and I'm going to take the responsibility to decide what I want to bring out because those responsibilities comes with taking on your feelings. And a lot of people don't have the skill set up to be able to deal with their feelings and mm-hmm. figure out, yes, this is a positive feeling and no, this is a negative feeling. And when all of the, everything is energy. So everything that you own in your house has an energy attached to it, mm. right? So if you wore a sweater and the last time you wore it, something terrible happened, every time you see that sweater, you're going to equate that sweater with that negative thing, no matter how many wonderful times you wore it before that, which means now it has that attachment of, of fear of whatever happened happened the last time. You're never going to want to wear that sweater again, but if you can't deal with the fear, you're probably just going to keep it in your sweat in your closet for years and years and years with that fear staring at you. Okay. So that's why I want really people to take some steps because I want them to live a life free of fear, of guilt, of shame, and of apathy mm-hmm. so that they also start living authentically and they're able to um, take steps that may help them deal with their feelings and process them in a way that allows them to feel safe and nurtured. Um, those are great points. I, I love the comment that you made about energy because items, you know, and things, we do have emotional attachments to and things like that. So I want to ask you, how can someone motivate another person, either, either, excuse me, either in their household or within their profession to become more organized? Okay, and this is a question I get asked a lot because, you know, you want people to live happier, healthier, more productive lives, especially if you're close to them. Or if you're running a business, you want people to not get in their own way because they have so much clutter. So you want them to, to, to start making some changes. Here's the thing is when you approach people with a here's what you should do, here's what you need to do, and here's what you have to do, and you shove it down their throats, that's the quickest way to get somebody to turn off to what you're saying. So what I always advise is why don't you act as if, why don't you become that exact kind of person that you're hoping that other person will become. Mm -hmm. Deal with your own clutter. Even if you think you don't have a lot, it still makes a lot of sense to go through all of your stuff Take, you know, an appraisal of what you have, how you currently feel about it, and let go of the things that you don't want. Because when you start emulating that from the inside out, people take notice. You being that gives them permission to want that for themselves because they see that it's a possibility because you are that every day. So become that, and you will see people, without them even realizing it subconsciously, starting to take the same steps that you did. Another way that you can approach someone is let's say you have a book or a program that you really enjoyed is to just go up to them and say, you know, I really enjoyed this program. I found it really beneficial. Here's the information. And then you allow them to make the decision themselves because that's when they empower themselves. When you push it down their throat, that's when the resistance happens. Mm. So, Allison, you say that even kids as young as three can use these same skills to get organized and lead productive lives. Um, so why is it important for parents to teach these skills to their kids? Oh, God. Well, again, when you're a three-year-old, you know, you are so impressionable. And so when you're watching your family embody all of these five life skills, you're learning these 
skills that enable you to make great decisions from the age of three on until the rest of your life. Okay. You are guaranteed to have a better life when you know how to set priorities, maintain healthy boundaries, make good decisions for yourself. When you are, you know, when you're in touch with your own intuition and when you set up systems so that your life is easier, it just makes navigating everything in your life so much easier. And three-year-olds, you know, th these kids, they want to be part of the family unit. Sure. They want to be given some responsibility. And so, you know, you can even just have the three-year-old responsible for their own toys and mm -hmm. putting them away after they've used them because not only are you teaching them responsibility, but you're teaching them to care for their belongings, to have a positive association with the things they choose to bring into their lives and when you have that um, innate skill built in of, of, of knowing to only choose the good things into your life it really keeps you from making bad decisions down the road because mm -hmm. you've already had that skill built in from a really really early age right right wow yeah okay Allison this I think I know someone that is dealing with this next issue when it comes to hoarding mm -hmm. how does hoarding come about and then what are some of the common triggers that you know can lead someone to becoming a hoarder. Are you saying hoarder? A hoarder. Oh, a hoarder. Not hoarder. Yeah. Oh, okay. Just making sure I heard you. Yeah, hoarding is something that, um, you know, it's a catchphrase that's now getting tossed around because of that TV show. And, you know, if you have a slight collection of anything, now you're being called a hoarder. And that's not it. Generally, from my experience, when I walk into somebody's home or I meet somebody and they are actually a hoarder, it's because they've gone through a trauma or traumas, ah. and they haven't found the right help to allow them to let go of those emotions. And so they, they, they feel unsafe, and so they hold things around them, they keep things around them, and they assign emotions to these items as a way to make them feel safe. It could be something like 20 years ago, a neighbor you barely spoke to left something with you because they didn't even want it anymore. And because you don't have a lot of uh, happy memories in your life, you're going to keep that and hold on to it as like the one few, the one little memory that's positive that you have in your life. But this is something that takes years and years and years um, to really develop. And there's probably about four or five different stages of horror with the last one being the worst and at that point you know you have such an accumulation of not only physical stuff but of emotional stuff that usually at that point you're going to need the help of several different professionals to enable you to start being able to let go in a healthy way and and get yourself back on track but I will tell you I, I've met very few hoarders who don't have a boatload of physical uh, issues as well as the hoarding and emotional problems at the same time because I think that's what happens with clutter is when you start at the top it just works its way down mm -hmm. until it, you know it's gotten so bad it's just manifesting everywhere in your life. Wow. Okay. Well, let me ask this question right here, Allison, before we move on. So, in this process, what's the first thing one must do to even begin to become organized or stop hoarding? Okay, so, you know, I think that the first decision is to just, you know, to make a decision that you do want to make a positive change in your life. And then, you know, a lot of people, they're going to go and they're going to take a look around their homes and they're going to go, oh my God, this is such a huge project. I'm never going to finish it. It's going to be too hard. I, I can't even deal with it. And they go into overwhelm and they shut down before they even begin. Right. And so what you have to do 
is you have to remember it's like, you know, a, it's like a toddler learning how to walk. They don't get across the room on the first try. They have to stand up and take a step, and sometimes they fall back down, but they keep at it, right? And, and organizing is something you're going to have to do for the rest of your life. So as a toddler does, they take one small step at a time, and eventually they end up at the other end of the room. Mm-hmm. And so when you're doing an organizing project, the smartest thing for you to do, because most people just don't even know where to begin, is to, you know, just start by, by breaking it down into small steps. So, okay, you've got the whole house, right? So then what you're going to do is you're going to say, I'm not going to do the whole house. I'm going to stick to one room. Mm-hmm. Say it's your bedroom. Okay, I'm not going to do the whole bedroom. I'm just going to focus on the closet. Okay, I'm not going to focus on the whole closet. I'm going to focus on, you know, just one, all the tops. So I'm going to just start with my, you know, with my work, work blouses or my work shirts. And then you're just going to deal with making, taking one work shirt at a time and making a decision. Do I want to keep it? Do I not want to keep it? And then the next decision is whether it's a yes or a no, where do I want to put this now that I know whether or not I want to keep it? And and that's, and then you pick up the next one after you figure that answer out and you go so on and so forth until eventually you've gone through everything in your home. But it's one, you know, one category at a time and one item at a time and one decision at a time. And that's how you start the process of organizing because it really is just a series of of decisions. Do I want to keep this? If yes, where do I put it? If not, where do I want to give it away to? And and that's really um, all you're deciding over and over and over again. And as you keep the process simple, it, it, it makes it so much easier, but everybody tries to make it as a complicated process. No, you're organizing because you want to make it so easy that your life becomes seamless. You're not forgetting things. It's just it sets you on autopilot so that you can focus on the things that really are a priority for you. Okay, wow. Allison, I love your passion about this. Um, just a little curious about how what made you so passionate to start you know, helping people in this area? Um, well, when I first learned about organizing about 12 years ago, I just was like, oh, it sounds like something I was already doing for, you know, past employers. Right. And then as I started working with clients, I just thought, you know, I like it because there is a lot of creativity in there. You know, when you, there is a lot of options for, for being able to be creative. But I love, I love helping people transform their lives and teach them new skills that, that leave them feeling happier, that leave them feeling empowered, that leave them feeling like their life is going to be manageable and in control and that they're the ones in the helm, at the helm of their own lives. Mm. And I love empowering people and allowing them them to to find a new way to let go of the things that don't, that no longer serve them and especially in relation to fear and guilt and shame mostly because I spent a lot of time with those energies and they do you no good and they tear you down and rip you apart and I don't want anyone to ever have to go through that so I've made it my mission to help people learn a new way to let go of those emotions that are really holding them back in their own lives right well, Allison, listening to you, it sounds like when someone hires you, it's more of a process. So it's not like a one visit time. Is it? Is it a? How, how long is your therapy done? Over a period well, of time? we usually what we do because I do it over Skype uh-huh. or uh, on the 
the phone is, um, you know, we're, we're doing it for an hour, and then I'm, I'm, we're working on the issues that you have, the things that get you stuck. You know, we're also figuring out, you know, how to build up your decision-making skills because, you know, you have to start slowly, and as you do it more and more and more, it just becomes more innate of what you want versus what you don't want. Mm-hmm. And so we're really just going through this process and having you do it over and over and over again so that this becomes an innate skill. All of those life skills become innate. Um, and so, yeah, it's usually about an hour long on the phone. Um, I'm also helping you with, you know, trying to find uh, the right products that are going to work for your needs, figuring out how to best let go of the things that you don't want anymore, depending on the, you know, um, what they are mm-hmm. and uh, what their worth is and things like that. So there's a lot of things that go through the process, but we're going through, you know, one category at a time so that as you keep going through it, your home and your life and your health and your happiness keep getting better and better and better. Oh. And you're doing this process so much that by the end of it, you should be able to do it on your own for pretty much anything in your life. I mean, I use this to help me with my diet, with my career. It's, you know, you need these five skills to be able to get you through life in a way that looks good to you. So mm-hmm. the more that I can teach these skills to people and have them do it so much that it becomes innate in them, I think that's a gift that they can then keep giving to themselves for the rest of their lives. Exactly. So what are the most common trouble spots with organizing um, and what simple steps can we take to avoid these organizational pitfalls? Okay, well, maintenance is number one. So, you know, it's okay to um, let a little bit of clutter come up, and I definitely do it in my own home, but that's where you use the healthy boundaries of I've let enough of this go on, and I'm going to make a self-love decision to then clear out the clutter. And the nice part is is decluttering is easier than, say, dieting, because say you're having a bad day and you you eat six cupcakes, right? It's going to take you a whole lot longer to undo. Yeah, well, you know, if you're on a serious diet, most of the time, you know, they're, you're going to count that six, those six cupcakes as a failure, and then it's going to take you a lot longer to work off those six um, cupcakes than it ever would be if, you know, say you let a week go by and let the mail pile up, that's probably going to take you a half an hour to undo at most. So that's the wonderful part about it. But things like your entryway, okay, where you first walk in, that's where everybody dumps all their stuff. And that can become really, really cluttered really quickly. And so one really simple way to do that is to always just make sure that the only things that stay in your entryway are the items that you are using now during that season on a regular basis. So your keys, you know, your purse and your wallet, and maybe, you know, depending on what your space is, a a couple of pairs of shoes that are going to be able to sit there. But you don't want all of your winter boots taking up precious hallway space in the middle of summer when you don't need to. Um, Another place is your kitchen, because you know what? If you have a cluttered kitchen, that actually leads to weight gain. So if you're looking to eat healthier and to diet, you're going to want your your kitchen uncluttered. It's also going to help you cook a lot easier. But even just wiping down your sink after each use is actually going to keep you in a place that makes it a lot easier. And then setting up simple Simple um, systems. So say you can't find your keys every, you know, you put down your keys, you never know where they are. Even setting up a bowl or a little uh, hook right next to your door when you come in, that small, quick, simple system that you've just set up, it's going to save you a boatload of time, a boatload of frustration, and it's going to add to your productivity because you're not 
wasting precious time and precious focus looking for something that you should know where they are at all times. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just even small little things like that can make a really big difference in, in, in your life. And setting up simple systems such as setting up a place for your keys can really add a lot of more time to your to your life. Wow. So, Allison, how can people follow you? How, if they want to get in contact with you for some of your programs, how can people follow you? Oh, best you? place to get in touch with me is my website, and that's www.actorganizing.com. Or you can also go onto my Facebook page or any of my other social medias, Facebook, uh, Google, LinkedIn, Twitter. So, but definitely www.actorganizing.com. And I have my blog there. Uh, I have uh, products for sale. Mm -hmm. And I also have my services for sale. Awesome, awesome. Well, Allison, thank you so much for calling in so with this much, information. Allison. You've given us a lot of things that we can use. So, so I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I had a wonderful time, and awesome. I, I love being able to share how important the process of decluttering really is because once you have those five basic life skills, mm -hmm. you, it really can take you to places that you never imagined. And I've been doing yeah. it myself, and it really has helped me um, improve my health during a serious illness and just uh, make my life a lot better during a a, a, a difficult time so whether you're using it to help you be even happier or to get you through a tough time these are five basic life skills that are going to make your life a lot happier healthier and more productive wow wow well thanks for tuning in again and we're going to put your information on our website and we hope that you have a good evening thank you so great much, thank you so much will i really appreciate it you're welcome good night good night wow i have a lot of clutter in my life i do I know. I'm I've been trying to get rid of some clutter since June. He's following me. But, okay, we're going to move on to <laughs> our next part. So, I was as before the call came in, you know, I was talking about Deion Sanders, his son. Mm -hmm. um, so, his son put this tweet. This, is it on Twitter? Yeah, tw uh, he put a tweet? A tweet? He put a, he, tweet. a tweet. He put mm. a tweet up. Wow. And it says, got to get the hood donuts almost every morning. If my donuts don't come in a plain white box, I don't want them. So, he was trying to be hood. So his father went back and he put, at Deion Sanders Jr., you're a huxtable with a million-dollar trust fund. Stop the hood stuff. LOL, son. So basically gave him a reality check because he was trying to be hood. I want to know, when was the last time y'all had a reality check? I feel like I have reality checks daily. Do you? I, I check myself daily. Um, I Tell me about a, this practice I, that I you can, have. I can be a little a little unruly at times. So, um, Not Sarita Shares, yes, no. Yes, I was just sharing that um, the other day that Sarita Shares hasn't always been Sarita Shares. She used to be Sarita the Diva. Mm -hmm. um, so, <laughs> well, Sarita is still flipping her hair. Yes, in the she's right. still a diva. That's still a little diva. But I think, like, for me, the most beneficial reality checks are the ones that I, I give myself, you okay. know, and I definitely appreciate getting them from other people because uh -huh. sometimes you can get a little ahead of yourself. So I applaud Dion for coming. You can side. take that? Someone? You know what? I don't necessarily like it, but uh -huh. I, I do take it. Huh, that's good. What about you, Nate? When's the last time you had one? Well, I don't normally because I don't live in this reality. Mm -hmm. I don't need a reality check because I'm always on check. Uh -huh. And because I see what everyone else is going through in their social media lives mm -hmm. and lying and preaching mm -hmm. on social media daily, I don't really, I don't buy into it. So there's no reality check for me. Hmm. So you need a reality check. 
So Basically. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you pretty much need a reality check. Nikki, have you had one? Yeah. When Nikki took you on as a client, <laughs> she told me, she said, Nate, reality hit me so hard. Mm. And I told her, I said, Nikki, gonna be easy. what you going to do? Let us pray. You know what? Y'all ain't got that. But anyway, I'm not even going to answer But I still it. don't understand what was the reality check that he gave him because they really didn't get that much money. If you got a million dollar trust, is, how, do you have a million dollars? I do. I mean that you can not monopoly, but I'm you gotta stop thinking. Listen, I know you're trying to visualize this and all is that what kind I, of stuff. <laughs> but try to spend it today. I try. I, today I did. You know, uh-huh. I couldn't. I don't want to spend it all don't in worry one about it. place. Don't worry about it. I didn't want to spend it all in one place. But I, my father is rich. All right, so we're gonna move on to um, <laughs> Mariah Carey, my girl Mariah Carey. Is this thing on? Can y'all hear me? I, I can. You can. All right. Yeah, we can hear you. Mariah Carey. Um, you know, she's on the cover of Complex Magazine. I also saw her on, what is it, Kelly? I yeah. always want to say Kelly and Michael, but you know Michael left. Kelly and whoever is that week. Um, it's just she, Kelly. She was on the show, and she was just talking about, you know, she's going to get married to this billionaire. Um, Mariah always, Mariah herself is worth, I think, over $500 million, but she's going to get married. Um, and she was talking about the um the prenuptial agreement basically and she was just saying that um she never thought that she was going to be getting married again as a matter of fact she put she said regarding her upcoming nuptials she's marrying a billionaire his name is james packer she states you know we would like for it not to be a big thing but the reality is it is going to be because there are things that are specifically mine and he's got a huge friggin conglomerate stuff and I'm not looking to take any of that from him. Mm-hmm. So it has to be dealt with. Anytime you get married to somebody, um, it does. And I should know um, I'll be doing this marriage thing three times. Mm-hmm. My bishop said to me, I don't want you to be Elizabeth Taylor or go Elizabeth Taylor on me. And she said, I'm not. But anyway, I just want to know, how do you feel about prenuptial agreements? Would you sign one, Sarita? Um, shares? I, I would. You would? And I would actually, I've asked some guys that I've dated, you know, if we were to get married, would you be comfortable with shi- uh, with signing a prenup? Because men aren't the only ones that bring things to the table. Women oh. do as well. Um, and I think people who have assets uh-huh. and things of value, we want to protect them. And I don't think that it's, if your heart's in it for the right reason, mm-hmm. I don't think that you would necessarily be offended by that. You should actually applaud the person and say that, you know, they're aware, they're mindful, and again, they are just they're genuinely concerned with protecting exactly. their assets. And I don't think it's anything wrong. Women with signing a prenuptial, mm-hmm. if you're not a gold digger and men signing one as well, if you're not a gold digger, there you have it. What, what do you say? Well, you know that I'm a gold digger. So <laughs> unfortunately signing a prenup would be bad for me, uh-huh. you know, because normally when I go into relationships, it's because of I, what you have yes, yes. and what you can do exactly. to what I have. Uh-huh. If you can't make what I have grow, you get rid of, them. I get rid of you. Yeah, exactly. I get rid of you. You, you heard it here, folks. <laughs> You heard it here. You heard it. Shade. <laughs> so much shade today. Exactly. Well, you know what? I think I used to say that I would not sign one. I think that I would sign one now, but it would have to be on the terms where we, whatever we bring into the relationship, if something happened. So if you I, sign a prenup, do you not get nothing at all? Well, it's in the, it's what you put in it, the it's, term. Yeah, because I feel like, okay, for example, let me switch this. I'm Facebook living as well while we're in the studio. Okay. Guys, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> My humble opinion. Um, I mean, I believe that you protect your assets. What uh-huh. you bring into the marriage is okay. what you're protecting. But however, let's say 
for every year that we're together, things that we accumulate together, mm. then that is a shared asset. It's oh, not okay. just as simple as I have all of this, you have nothing, mm-hmm. we are married for 10, 20 years, we get divorced, and you leave with nothing. Mm-hmm. It's clearly you put things into a marriage throughout the years. Mm-hmm. So I think that there are certain stipulations in your prenuptial that you can say, hey, after year three, mm-hmm. you get 50%. Yeah. You know. So she could possibly, after this marriage, be worth a billion dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Go so you don't think that it goes? Whoop, you whoop. go into the relationship planning for the divorce? I do. Oh no. Well, <laughs> you know what? I am learning a lot on this conversation. Shame, Thank you, Mr. Nate. Uh, you gotta get to that truck. I never, no, no. Really, I never really understood why people had that mindset about prenuptials. Really? Again, I think it goes back to when you have established wealth on your own. Uh-huh. That's just like. Would you go and bank and make an investment with a bank that doesn't have, you know, security or have a good name? I exactly. mean, you're putting your money into an organization and trusting them. I mean, it's the same concept with a marriage. What's the issue with the prenup? I can understand the, 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 uh, the comparison with the bank to a certain extent, but a bank is not going to see me naked. They're not going to get my body. They're not going to have a key to my car. You know, they're not going to possibly carry my kids. So I don't understand why... If I'm going to give you all of this, I'm going to open myself all to you. Why are you going to say, but you know what? Even after all of that, I can help you on your sick bed. I can do this and that. But you can't touch none of this stuff because basically you're saying I don't trust you with it. No, I don't think they're saying that you can't touch it. But if you leave, you're not going to leave with it. I'll let you dabble in it. You can roll around yeah, in it. Yeah, while we're together. And when we're together. But when you leave, you leave with them same shorts you came in with okay. that same pocketbook <laughs> <laughs> that one that one, <laughs> that one. <laughs> them same shoes yes can you get a new one <laughs> but what you say leave mine on the leave mine in leave the my closet. keys on the table leave oh, my keys on the table because like beyonce say you must not know about me you must not know about me mm-hmm. i can have another you hold on let me see yeah what, don't worry about what's it. that don't website called it. plenty uh Wow. For real. I think that's just Nikki, why you took those spices? <laughs> Talk about she knows somebody. I would be interested to know what our Facebook followers are saying. Yeah. So if you, if you have any comments about anything, please let us know. But you know what? I want to get to some questions um, that I want to ask. You know, I always like to ask to get to the heart of who you guys really are. Oh. Um, so y- you've gone through this transformation. Yeah. And I, I, I'm happy to say I've known you before, prior yeah. to when this happened. You know me since I was in college. Yeah, Nate, yeah. yeah. Nate, she's actually Nate's client. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to know, so I don't really know the story behind it. I know usually God takes you through something before you come to this realization. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when that time comes and you're standing, you know, at heaven's gate and God asks, you know, why should I let you in? What is Sarita Sherry's going to say? Um that is a really loaded and deep question mm-hmm. and I can uh, I really can appreciate that question um, God my heart was for your people and God knows that um, as again I've shared recently my heart wasn't always for his people my mm-hmm. heart was for Sarita and that was a defense mechanism because Sarita had been through a lot of issues mm-hmm. and like a lot of us do if we're honest with ourselves you know we look real pretty on the outside yeah. but on the inside we're broken mm-hmm. and it's everybody else but us because yeah. we don't want to come to the realization so the moment I hit that wall where I said God I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired I don't want to do it anymore it's your will you do it 
So God had to strip back those pieces in me and reveal to me, which was one of the most uncomfortable things I oh, ever yes, went through, yes, but yes. the most beneficial things ever. And in that moment of me getting healed and becoming whole, God truly gave me a heart for his people where it was no longer, what can you do for Sarita? It's mm. God, what can I do for your kingdom? And I believe that if more people started to actually have a deeper relationship with God and truly seek his face and what he wants for his kingdom and his people, a lot of us would be able to make it to those gates and answer this question with all sincerity and say, God, I was living this life for your will, not all mine. Right. All right. right. Yes. That's it. Because I know when he asked me, I'm going to say, because you letting folk in. <laughs> <laughs> you are a trip. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Well, Nate, knowing you for the past, what, oh, last too long, <laughs> yes. um, I want to know this question for you because we've had this discussion quite a few times. When will you be enough and good enough for you? Oh, my God. That is a really good question because I wrestle with this every day. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's I'm not going to say okay. every day, but I have this, this thing about myself and church, mm -hmm. and I believe that God has a pulling on my life and where I supposed to be. But because I think it's no, more so me not feeling I don't I don't fit in there mm. that but it's so crazy because I had a conversation just last week with someone where they asked me to sing in church and asked why don't I sing more often because you can sing mm -hmm. and i tell them and I, you know i gave them my reason why and they said because of that they want to use me more because they see the gift mm. so but i'm not I don't, the question has never but, been what other people see but no me. no i see what you're saying but uh -huh. it's it's me i don't i don't know i guess i just have to like sarita said you have to let go and walk into god's purpose and will for your life yeah. and i think once you are willing to make yourself because i don't like to be vulnerable i like to be in control mm. yeah. of the outcome mm. you know if i put myself out and bad come from it i'm in control of that but if i relinquish control and just step out what we consider on faith then it's like whatever the backlash i have to just be ready to deal with it but because we already know he said he would never leave us nor forsake us so yeah. I just have to be able to stand up on that. So that's a good question. I don't know when, but I'm almost there. Pray for me. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so, Sarita, what's missing from your life? Ooh, um. Well, Sarita has been cooking on social media. Oh, she has. Oh, you should oh, have seen what I She is getting night. ready for this man that's waiting on Jesus. heaven's door. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, to be honest, I, I am single, and it's not like... Uh, my biggest thing is when I turned 30, I said, God, please let me not be that woman that is turning down, you know, knocking on 30's door. Like, God, send me a husband and send me a baby in like 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but I mean, it does get lonely. And I mean, especially when you're walking and you're calling and your purpose, um, you know, a woman is to be covered, mm -hmm. you know, and that's my prayer to God every day. God, continue um, to make me a more godly woman for the man that you have for me. And Lord, Facebook, please don't flood me. I don't want to date you. I don't want to be your wife. God's got this under control. Yes. But if I had to say what is missing in my life, it is that that covering on that level, mm -hmm. you know, as me being a woman and being a help meet, mm -hmm. where's that man that I can help meet the need on his life? And again, further the kingdom business. Okay, awesome.
Well, we'll get back to more of that next. We're going to have our guest calling in, Michael Tamez. Um, he talks about basically um, weight loss and when it's really difficult. I know I personally have been trying to go through a weight loss. I had a transplant in 2012, and I gained 50 pounds. Um, and it's been, I can say hell. It's been hell trying to get these these um, pounds off, especially when you love sweets. You love sweet tea. You hate water. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to really, me and Nikki, we have to press ourselves to get to the to the um, gym on time. But um, he's And if you can stop in. eating those pies, maybe Michael can talk to you about that. <laughs> I know you ain't. Talk. Do you have my my spaghetti? In there go answer the phone. <laughs> <laughs> right Thanks for calling. Let's face it. This is Michael. How are you? Hey, yeah, this is Michael. Hi, hi. Um, this is Will calling. Thanks for calling in and contacting the show. So you are a uh, sure. health coach, a, a wellness author. Tell us, what do you do for people? I empower people so they can experience their highest version of themselves and. Um, really teach them how to take their health back into their own hands. Okay. So what was it that made you wake up and and realize that you really needed to take some dramatic changes in your life? I I was diagnosed with uh, severe obstructive sleep apnea, and this was because I was about 100 pounds overweight. Wow. And I got to the point where I fell asleep driving because I had sleep apnea so bad. So that was my... That was my aha wake-up moment. And when that happened, I realized that I needed to needed to do something about my health because I didn't know, you know, I was scared of what was going to happen if I didn't. Mm-hmm. And during your 13-year weight loss and health transformation journey, did you have to re-examine and reassess the relationships in your life um, or even your career and living environment and the friendships you had? Yeah, I had to reassess everything because the health coaching that I do is um, is based on every you know a, a, every area of a person's life, not just their physical health. So I look at I look at uh, you know like relationships and career and spirituality and finances. All of these things are are all connected, and if one area is imbalanced, it's going to make all the other areas imbalanced. So all every because everything is connected, I, you know, it's, it's, it's very easy for, for a person to go out of balance and to, it, it affects their, it, it can affect their health if, if one of these areas is imbalanced. For example, a lot of people deal with um, financial issues and that can really affect a person's health. I mean, mm-hmm. I've seen it many times. I've experienced it myself. And that's, you know, that's just one of the areas. And another area like uh, could be, um, relationships if you know someone's in a struggling relationship or you know is is miserable in the relationship or at a job that they despise that can affect their health because they might not they might reach for uh, junk food instead of you know eat healthy food so these are this is how all the areas are intimately connected and really make us who we are as a whole and complete being and Michael, you have a uh, you was talking once. Uh, I mean, you you mentioned once about a time when you had lost your teeth at a young age. Can you explain why oral health is so important as well? Yeah, I almost lost my teeth. I was at the point where uh, where I had gum disease really bad, mm-hmm. and I didn't take care of my uh, I didn't take care of my uh, gum health. And it this is another reason that uh, that looking at your body as a holistic and a whole and complete being is very important because if you have if you have a lot of uh, bacteria and stuff in your mouth, 
that all that plaque is related to the plaque that can cause heart problems oh, wow. in the, in, you know, in our body. And a lot of people don't make that correlation, but it's definitely related. And this is why it's very important to make sure that you're brushing and flossing every day and you're seeing a dentist regularly because my, my uh, dental hygienist actually made me aware that 70% of people have some form of gum disease or another and they don't even know it. And, you know, when you have gum disease, you have this plaque in your in between your teeth and that can get into your bloodstream and then that can get into your arteries and cause heart problems. So it's very interesting when you look at it that way, how we see that our body is really interconnected and very important to take care of your mouth and the health of your mouth and your gums and your teeth and, and all that. So, Mike, this is Will again. So, in relation to your physical, your mental, and your emotional state, what was it like for you personally um, to be obese? It was very challenging because I had a lot of not only not only physical health issues to overcome, but I had a lot of mental and emotional trauma that you know that that came up around it because you know it's it's one thing to experience the the being physically overweight or obese, but when you have the self image or, you know, when you look at yourself and you are unhappy, that can actually be just as harmful and, um, and dangerous to to your body and health as being physically overweight. Because, you know, when we, we have these uh, negative views on ourselves, it really, it really hurts us. You know, it hurts our, 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 our mind and our, and our emotions. It, it really, to- it makes it it's toxic to, to our, to our body. Exactly. And that's why it's very important to look at these areas when you're looking at your physical body, whatever it may be, you know, some people may be dealing with other things going on in their body or in their life, but looking at it, looking at it deeper than what, what they see in the mirror is very important because, you know, we're, we're more than just our physical body. We're our thoughts, we're our emotions, we're, we're our connectedness to, to the, you know, the human species and, and everyone around us, you know, all our brothers and sisters all around everywhere, the planet, we're all, we're all connected that way. So Mike, um, you're a firm believer that dieting does not um, provide a substan- a sustainable, excuse me, solution for permanent weight loss. Can you elaborate more on that and what diets do work and what diets don't? I firmly believe that diets in general don't work because we are 7 billion strong on the planet. Mm-hmm. And that means we are, we, that, that there's 7 billion different ways of living, ways of eating, ways of being. Each person is very unique in that we have different digestive systems and mm-hmm. different organs and different, um, different uh, ways we process emotions. Even we know we have different ancestral backgrounds. We have, uh, different uh, ways that we eat, you know, all over the world. And this is the reason why saying that one specific way of eating or living doesn't work for everyone because we're so unique and that, you know, we need to really start approaching our health and our body in that, with that understanding that just because an expert or a nutritionist or a doctor says that their diet is a, you know, a great solution for some people doesn't mean that it's the solution for everyone. Exactly. You know, it's just like what we have going on right now and in the world with with politics and religion, all these forbidden subjects where they try to force it on people and say this, everyone should believe in this, but it's really, it's all about listening to your body and figuring out what diet works for you exclusively. And 
that's going to be different for everyone. That's why saying that one diet specifically is going to be an answer for our problems that we face, you know, with the obesity and diabetes and all this stuff going on in the United States and all over the world, it doesn't, it's not that simple. You know, it's more of a, how can you look at your body and figure out what is going on internally that you need to work on or what kind of stuff that you need to process? What emotions are you holding on to from the past? Right. You know what I'm saying? These are the, these are the things that we really need to look at and in, in when we think about a diet and go deeper than the physical aspects of what a diet covers, you know, because diets usually are just, you know, based on losing weight or, you know, gaining some muscle or, or reaching physical goals. So we need to really dig deeper than that. So my question for you, this is Sarita. If there is some, someone listening in the audience today who is struggling with the weight issue, what is the most powerful advice you would impart to them? And that's me. What I, would, <laughs> what I would say is don't get overwhelmed because there is so much information out there. We're bombarded with conflicting information. I mean, you got scientists, nutritional scientists saying one thing and then another nutritional scientist saying then another uh, something totally con con uh, contradictory to what the first nutritional scientist said. Everyone's pointing their finger saying – their theory's wrong and my, my theory's correct. It's very overwhelming and I understand that and I get it. It's a very, it's hard to know where to start, who to trust. And I'm saying the, the place to start is with you, with yourself, with your own body. Your body is an intelligent being. It's kind of like a car and, it, and all, of, all of the organs and all of our systems, everything works synergistically just like a car and, it, and our body, your body, will let you know what's what's off or what needs attention. And it does this in the form of symptoms. It, it, our bodies communicate to us in the form of symptoms. So really starting to tune in to these symptoms that we have, you know, what, whatever it may be. I mean, if we have pain or inflammation or we feel depressive thoughts or we have emotions that we feel that we're not processing or, you know, there, there's so many things going on. That's That's definitely the first step because – our body has the answers that we need, and if we're just willing to listen, it will communicate them to us. And then once we have an idea of what our body's trying to tell us, then we can start creating these small, realistic goals. You know, our small, realistic goals can be anything from, like, losing a couple of pounds a month to maybe stopping uh, drinking soda or stopping, you know, not wanting to drink or eat uh, uh, fried foods or fast foods. You know, these, these are small, attainable goals. I really recommend starting with those instead of having huge, you know, huge goals are great, but they're not good to start off with because then we become overwhelmed. And that's oftentimes when we go on a diet for a couple of weeks or a month or two, and then, oh, well, we just revert back to how we were eating before and gain all that weight back. So starting with small goals and listening to your body are the two very important steps to take. And those are two very, uh, two of the, uh, two of the most important steps that I talk about in my book, Transformative Nutrition, and I go into great detail into all of the other steps that are involved in it, but those are the very powerful steps that can really help trans start the transformation progress. Okay, awesome. Well, you gave us a lot of great information. How can people reach out to you for more information or if they want to work with you? The best way would be to visit my website, and that is michaeltamez.com. That is M-I-C-H. A-E-L-T-A-M-E-Z.com, and that's where I have my book available. I have 
uh, health coaching available. I have um, a great newsletter. I have articles that I've written. I have um, all kinds of resources, a lot of good stuff there. So I rec highly recommend checking out my website, and that's michaeltemez.com. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much for calling in. You gave us a lot of valuable information, and we hope you have a good evening. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Good night. Great, great, great. So we have a letter that someone came, wrote in. My eyes are kind of blurry. Sarita, you have a great reading voice. Can you read that for me? Um, yes, I can. Let's see. So me. Let me bring it over here. Thank, thank you. We're going to go ahead and read this for the people. Yes, so please. the question is, me and my best friend grew up together. We lived next door to each other up until we both went away to college. I was out celebrating my cousin's birthday with her when I saw my best friend's boyfriend all tucked in the corner of the room with another woman. Mm -hmm. And they were going at it regardless of the fact that they were in a room full of people. Even though me and my friend are very close, we're practically sisters. I have seen plenty of friendships ruined when you cross the line and step into your friend's relationship because they often seem to think you're coming from a negative place mm -hmm. and think that you should mind your business, especially women who feel like they have a really good thing going. I feel stuck between a rock and a hard place because I don't want her thinking that she is with a man that is committed to her when I know otherwise. But I also don't want to risk our friendship because a lot of people would feel like it's not my place to say anything because it's their relationship and has nothing to do with me. Hmm. My other issue is what if she was to find out he was cheating and that I knew about it and said nothing? I would feel like a terrible friend. So I'm really torn about this, torn about what to do. Wow. Mm. So as a... As a lady, what would you say, Sarita? What would you do? You know, I've been in this situation, and it, it goes um, two ways. I mean, the friendships that I have, mm -hmm. I mean, we're so close. I mean, that's like... It's a no-brainer. Woman to woman, uh -huh. I would want to know, uh -huh. you know. And, again, I think it kind of ties back into that, where are you at? Mm -hmm. Are you whole? Mm -hmm. Are you in a broken place? Mm -hmm. Because if I'm in a whole place, and I know... You know, my man is stepping out on me. I would want to know that so I can get past that. Mm -hmm. Back in the day when I was in a broken place, stay in your lane, don't worry about my relationship. Because uh -huh. I'm thinking you're jealous, you're hating. So as a woman, friend to friend, mm -hmm. we can respect that. And I would want that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it, you just have to gauge your friends. You know, what level of friendship. You say you're practically like sisters. If my sister were getting cheated on, I would be handling that. And I would let her know, too. That's what's up. What about you, Nate? Well, I'm messy, what so mm -hmm. what's going to happen is I'm going to send you video footage as it's going on, <laughs> and I'm going to let you know what's happening. I'm going to even get his attention so he can see that I am videotaping so him, he can smile for the because, camera. you know, I'm messy like that. Yes, so. you are. Yes, you are. Hey, you know, some people pray about it. You know, I'm I'm going to do results, mm -hmm. oh, you know, and then pray afterwards for forgiveness. <laughs> forgiveness. <laughs> 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 Have you no shame? <laughs> At all. Okay, so um, there was a study um, about how many, can you guess how many times a day you touch your phone? I, I know your number's high. You know what, and that's, but honestly, it's just for business purposes. To be honest, like, I'm not really that big on social media. Back in the day, 
uh-huh. when I was, you know, kind of active. Um, I touch my phone a lot, but mm-hmm. personally, to be honest, I have this this issue and I have this conversation with friends quite frequently. Mm-hmm. I think technology just killed the art of being personable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that really bothers me because mm-hmm. I'm old school. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the type of girl that would sit on the phone and talk for 25 hours, mm-hmm. but I don't want to text you my whole life story. Exactly. Um, I want to be engaging. I want to be about moments, you know, but it, I mean... I'm sure the number is really high. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so are you a person, if you text somebody and they call you, do you get aggravated? I'm like, they no. text you, why are you calling Well, me? my issue is uh-huh. if I call you and you text me and you're like, hey, what's up? Uh-huh. No, I call, I'll be like, I called you. <laughs> but it's different if it's like, okay, hey, I'm busy. I'll uh-huh. get you back later. But again, that's that art of being personable. Exactly. I am an old school girl. Yeah, okay. You're not going to text me 21 questions to get to know me. You're going to come meet me. We're going to have a conversation face to face. Oh, my God. Or you're going to pick up that phone and talk to me. Uh-huh. What about you, Nick? I know I touch my phone a lot because for some strange reason, I like to look at YouTube a lot. (laughs) I don't know why. I like all things politics on YouTube. Um, And then, of course, I think I could dance, so I like to dance a lot, too. Mm -hmm. But So I know I touch my phone. Give me a number per day. Maybe, I'm going to say at least 200 times a day. Maybe a little more than that, because I actually sleep with my phone <laughs> in I, the bed with me. I slept exactly with my phone. Doing it now. <laughs> Nikki, Nikki, um, how many times you touch your phone? Nikki, yeah. I, I can I'm tell your number. Yeah. Come on. I live my phone dies four times out of six. My phone's battery uh-huh. dies four times. For real? Yeah. So if you had to get a number, how many would you say? Just a random. How many times you touch? Okay. So what they're saying is that the average person taps, clicks, or swipes 2,617 times each day. And that amounts to a total of 145 minutes daily on the phone, over 76 separate phone sessions. They say if you're above average, which you probably are, Nikki, you're spending about 225 minutes each day touching your device, some form or another. Um, about 5,427 times a day. And I think mm. I could definitely do that. Yeah. Because it's always, it's always in my hand. Mm-hmm. It's always in my hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Trying to get her to figure out how to, I'm being recorded. Thank you for telling me that. Um, trying to get you to learn how to work the calendar. That's what I don't get. Trying to work the calendar. Okay, so before before our next, our last guest call in about, shh, about eight minutes. I can go on with this. So I want to know, Miss Sarita. Oh, here we go. Hot seat. So there's been a transformation. Yes. There's been a transformation. So still, what is one thing that people always misunderstand about Sarita? My attitude. (laughs) 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 Um, Bless my heart. Like my mama always says, Uh you know, bless her heart. She means well. Uh And I really do. You know, a lot of times um, something that bothers me as a woman is Mm -hmm. that when we're seen as um, go-getters, we're assertive, and that's coming off kind of, I don't know if I can say the word, I'm not going to say it, but just not not really well-received. Um, yeah. Yeah, you could. Okay. We have a book, but that's not in the book. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> um, and whereas when a man is, you know, all about his He's business, assertive. very assertive, yeah. it's a great thing, but as a woman, yeah. it's like, 
how dare you? You're uh-huh. so rude. You're so obnoxious. Yeah. You know, and I think yeah. that really bothers me. So I have a really great heart. Like I'm a clown. I'm goofy, but I'm about my business. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? It's a time for business and it's a time for play. Uh-huh. So I think that's the biggest thing that people, you know, oh, you're you love Jesus. I love Jesus, but I'll still set you straight. You know, don't take it offensive. It's coming from a place of love, uh-huh. but what you're not going to do is come from me. Exactly. I will stand for myself as a woman. What about you, Nate? I think for me, people think that I am a bee. Because um, <laughs> I could be a little mean. Very. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can. But once you are, once you get into, once you penetrate my inner circle, mm-hmm. Then you you see a different side mm-hmm. of me. I don't think so. I no. am very goofy. You are. You're just like me. And I love to have fun, <laughs> but until you get there, you may see a different side of me. I just don't well, let well. everybody in, you know, my inner circle. Mm. And that's oh. how it should be, personally. It definitely should be because you get people that are messy, mm-hmm. like <laughs> like Nikki and Will. <laughs> <laughs> what ever. <laughs> Okay, um, I think mine is that I'm stuck up or that I'm really standoffish. And it's not the fact that I am. I'm extremely shy um, until I get to know you. And okay. he got a lazy eye, you know. Well, <laughs> you know what? You getting on my last nerve? Where's that book so I can choose the words I can say? You about to get beat, <laughs> man? Okay, so if you had a chance for a do-over. In life, mm-hmm. I probably know what you would say. What would you change? Or what would you do differently? You know what? I love that question. And uh, hmm. I feel like I don't regret anything in life because everything I've gone through has exactly. made me who I am. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, um, that is a really good question. Probably college. College. Um, as much as I love college and it was a great experience. Mm-hmm. It was a whole lot of money. Yeah. And praise God, my parents are awesome. I don't have no student loans. Mm-hmm. But All right. that was a <laughs> lot of money for me to go to college mm-hmm. for a degree that taught me a lot. I mean, I was a political science major. Mm-hmm. I am a certified professional life coach now, <laughs> and okay. I am a professional negotiator for an insurance company. So not really using that degree, yeah. although I don't regret it. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I feel that... Had I maybe done it a different way, like mm-hmm. gone to community college, I encourage anyone, um, unless you have a very defined path that you want to go down, mm-hmm. go to community college yeah. and then transfer. And that's what I what did I when did. I was in college. Yeah. I took some of my courses at a community college. It made more sense for me to take a class at a community college for $200 for three credit hours versus 1100 at a university. Right. So I'd probably do the way I did college a little differently. Um, or maybe just work on a trade or do something differently than mm. invest tens and tens and tens. Oh, and tens and tens and, and tens, tens. A thousand dollars yes. for degrees. And you went to where? Um, VCU. Oh, yeah. And I was out of state my first year. Oh, so wow. that was disrespectful. <laughs> you said disrespectful. <laughs> disrespectful. Okay. So, Nate, what would you do differently? I don't even know if I would want, or want a do-over. Um, of course, of course, I would like to make better choices and be wiser at mm-hmm. my choices um and really i think for me i would have my do-over probably would be to really learn the lessons that our parents taught us our mother and father mm-hmm. the things that they instilled in the in us but um i was the youngest child i am the youngest child 
and I am my mom's only boy. Well, she only have one girl. I only have a sister, and it's me. And my sister used to always say, "Oh, you her perfect child." So I think Did she say for that? me, yes, oh, I think for me, it would be really to learn the lessons that uh, my mom and my dad instilled in me mm-hmm. instead of being spoiled. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was that same way. Yeah. I, and when I look back and you really think about it, you say, I, I was spoiled. And entitled. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> and it's so funny because our pastor was preaching about entitlement mm-hmm. on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And he was saying about how he feel it because of the weed generation. Uh, he said his weed he used to smoke made him just hungry. But the weed we smoke, wait a minute. They smoke. They smoke. <laughs> it makes them entitled. And but I feel that I used to feel that sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. Um but I feel like if I would have learned those lessons and not grew up not walked away spoiled because mm-hmm. you can't spoil you can't live on your mom and daddy forever. You sure can't. So that's a hard reality check. Exactly. That was my reality check. That was check. your reality check. That was check. my first one. And this, okay. this is so funny. I'm going to be so apparent, so transparent. When my daddy died, mm-hmm. do you know that was the first thing I said? What? But who is going to give me some money? <laughs> oh, bless your heart. I, oh, I don't doubt that. <laughs> I, I don't doubt that I at all. I tell you, when I look back, we know I did get a check, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, hey, Will, we're not gonna we, talk about what you went through with it, how you went through that check. We we have a, a Facebook question on my Facebook Live, and yeah. it says, "What what has influenced you in life?" Um, I mean, do we want to answer that? Yeah. Yes. Okay. What has influenced? We, well, do providing we our last guest is not calling. Let me go ahead and introduce him real quick, so okay. when he calls in, we can just take the call. Um, his name is David Ingerson. He is the guy who wrote a book called The Caleb Years. And he and his family have basically been through struggle after struggle after tragedy in his family. And it's about um, his inspirational story of, uh-oh, triumph through tragedy. And his the, the title of the book comes from the loss of his son. And I'll let him talk to you about that. Thanks for calling Less Faith. Is this David? Yes, sir. This is David. How are you, sir? Thanks for calling in. Fine, thank you. Thanks very much for inviting me onto your show, Will. You are welcome. You're welcome. We were sitting here talking about um, the things that you've been through. So let's just begin by allowing you to tell us about you and, and about your family in general. You bet, Will. I'm a U.S. Air Force officer, retired pilot, and I served 24 years in the U.S. Air Force. My family and I, my wife and our five children, were stationed all around the U.S. and overseas, including in Japan. In fact, in Japan, Okinawa, we had two children born, our third child, Hannah, and then our fourth child, Caleb, who was the subject, so to speak, the inspiration for the book that I wrote some years later. And we finished up my career at a place called Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana and have lived now for the past uh, 12 years since, uh, 10 years since I retired here in Louisiana. We're in business now, and I'm also corporate pilot. Oh, wow. Okay. So, this is Sarita. Can you tell us about you and a little bit about your family? No, Caleb. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you tell us about Caleb and his journey? You bet. Our third son, Caleb, as I mentioned a moment ago, was born in Okinawa, Japan. He was our fourth child. Uh, the first three were born and were young, 
six, four, two years old, completely normal and healthy. And so this fourth child we just knew and assumed would be likewise right. normal and healthy. However, within a very, very short time of his birth, we became aware that he was plagued with a number of life-threatening congenital anomalies, in fact, not the least of which was a seriously malformed heart. Um, it turns out that the child had a defect, which is called hypoplastic left heart syndrome. And this particular defect basically results in the left side of the heart, which we call the systemic mm -hmm. part that pumps the blood to the body normally, as being basically inoperable, non-functional. There is a procedure that has been developed over the last 30 years or so that takes about three, sometimes more, open-heart surgical procedures to be performed on the child with this defect that can give them some chance of a semblance of a normal life. And beyond those open-heart surgeries, the only chance for life for a child born with this very serious defect is a heart transplant. Mm -hmm. did, did he have um, any of those surgeries? Yes, sir. Our son had surgery immediately after birth because mm -hmm. he had an imperforate anus, meaning no anal opening, and he also had something called a tracheoesophageal fistula with an esophageal atresia, which means his esophagus was capped off like a, like a pipe mm -hmm. and did not connect like a capped off pipe and did not connect to his stomach. Mm -hmm. However, there was a little fistula, an opening between his lower esophagus that was connected to his stomach but not his upper esophagus connected to his lungs mm -hmm. and then with no anal opening. So effectively, he could breathe in, and if he ate food, it couldn't go anywhere. It would be right. stuck in the esophagus of his throat, but he could actually... Even in the womb, there's fluid in the, in the stomach. It could have gone backwards across that fissure into the trachea, into the lungs. It could have aspirated. Oh, wow. So surgery, yeah, surgery immediately after birth to save his life from the threat of aspiration. During that time, they put a loop colostomy in him so he could extract waste because he didn't have the anal opening, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the heart defect. So he was sent via urgent medical evacuation flight. A very humbling situation for me as a military officer being stationed overseas to have those immense and very valuable and expensive resources available to us was just humbling. So we were sent within 18 hours of birth after the first surgery to the U.S., to the mainland, to California, San Francisco, University of California, San Francisco Medical Center, where he underwent one more surgery to connect his esophagus and then a second surgery, then his third surgery at six days old, his first open heart. He ended up having five open heart surgeries. Wow. And part of the story, part of our story that's so compelling, we believe, is that his third open heart surgery was undertaken when he was 16 months old, again in the States. This time we're in Michigan. We basically took the child coast to coast in the U.S. to get the best medical care for the child that we could mm -hmm. at 16 months of age. The third, about the seventh surgery altogether, but the third open-heart surgery, the child was infected with HIV oh, due, to contam right, due to contaminated unit of blood. Interestingly enough, and, and it's a big part of our story, that the donor, though we don't know the identity of the donor, we just know that he was you know, a, a male, 37 years old at that time, was a repeat donor, and the blood tested negative, but it was indeed positive. And, and nine months later, when the same donor went to donate again, his blood that time tested positive. So mm -hmm. the blood bank was required to perform what's called a look back, where they go back 
to every unit of blood the individual ever gave and historically contact the doctors and sign forms, have patients tested that received the blood. And of course, when the call came to me, I was at work um, at a headquarters job, a desk job as a pilot. When you're flying a desk, you're a little frustrated to begin with. So Mm -hmm. the call came in on a very busy day for my wife to have her son tested. And I'm telling you, something inside me just told me I knew he was positive, and of course he was. Wow. The, the impact of his HIV-positive status basically took a heart transplant off the table as an option. With a heart transplant no longer an option, my level of angst and frustration really grew. It was so difficult to consider. We tried to find out the behavior of the donor. I got involved in blood safety. I lobbied Congress. I met with U.S. senators, and I was involved in an organization known as the National Association of Victims of Transfusion-Acquired AIDS. I didn't want money. I didn't want to try to spitefully get vengeance on the donor. I only wanted to make blood safety better for the next patient, the next parents that had a child, or anyone that would receive blood. At any rate, um, in our efforts to try to find out what, what behavior the donor was engaged in that put him at risk, which he didn't disclose, that was something that was never given to us. So part of our story is facing the issue of will we, can we forgive the donor? And you know, Will, mm-hmm. my wife and I chose to do that. It was one of the most difficult things we've done in our lives, but we decided it was right. And there, there are a number of places in my book where I talk about thankfulness, and my wife does as well. She wrote the epilogue mm-hmm. to the book, and um, we just believe that it's an inspirational story that can help someone, whether they've gone through the death of a child or whether they've faced the, the grief of divorce, the grief of bankruptcy, the grief of, of losing a relationship, uh, the various things that all of us experience, disappointments in life, we believe. We stumbled through, we followed through, but we believe ultimately our faith and the people that loved us and our insistence on praying and being honest with our emotions, celebrating each victory, being thankful, humbling ourselves, asking for help from friends, receiving help when they offered it, forgiving those that have wronged us, and being smart about things. Um, I actually talked about using gloves. Mm. And people say, what does using glove mean? And I say, when you're stressed, when you're stressed to the point where you feel like you could pop or implode all at once, you need to be smart. You don't need to be reckless. You don't need to be messing with alcohol, drugs, illicit sex or relationships. And I'll tell you this. My son was an HIV-positive patient. He was two years old. He was three years old. He had a colostomy. He would sometimes have um, diarrhea uh, or if he had a real loose bowel, I, I had had uh, a surgery performed that installed a man-made anal opening. They call that new neo-anus. So when my son had diarrhea, he would literally bleed off both ends, meaning from his colostomy, which was on his abdomen, and from his, his little man-made anal opening. And, you know, when he was not just uh, diarrhea, but he would bleed as well. When he was bleeding from those two orifices, so to speak, and I was handling his dirty diapers, and I, ran, I didn't use gloves. Because I decided, you know, I said as a reckless type A male pilot personality thinking, well, Mm -hmm. HIV is nothing to me. I handle my son's blood. I'm not wearing gloves. That's disrespectful. Mm -hmm. I'm not wearing gloves when I handle my son's diaper body fluids. I had a friend look me in the eye and say, David, if you don't wear gloves when you're taking care of your son, 
you might not be there someday to take care of your other children. And you know, Will, that 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 sunk into my heart. Mm-hmm. And from that day on, I wore gloves. So there's a proverb, an ancient Hebrew proverb that is repeated, meaning verbatim, same proverb, chapter 22, verse 3, chapter 27, verse 12, it says, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. And I decided I am going to pay the penalty if I'm if I'm imprudent, if I'm simple, if right. I'm simple-minded here. I'm going to be prudent and take refuge, and the, hence we use the moniker, use gloves. That means be smart. Don't be reckless. When you're stressed, it's too easy to just throw caution to the wind. Don't do it. Well, exactly. So um, <laughs> you wrote a book, The Caleb Years. How was this book received, and what are some of the responses? Well, Will, I appreciate you asking the question. The book has actually now been out over two years. It came out June 1st, 2014. And we've sold um, about 1,500 copies of the book, and we've probably given away 500. <laughs> um, we, we just we love to give the book to people. Anytime we meet a parent who has lost a child, we give them a copy, and we encourage them that they need to be honest with their emotions. And the various things I mentioned, they need to forgive even themselves sometimes because though it doesn't make sense, we tend to blame ourselves for things that aren't ours to take. Why we do that, I'm not entirely sure, but the point is we need to admit our difficult emotions because emotions aren't necessarily right or wrong. They just are. But the actions we take and how we choose and determine to live our lives after, that is our choice. So the book's been well-received. Um, I will tell you a couple of quick stories of, of people that have read the book that have been greatly encouraged. Uh, one of the letters I've received, I just enjoy rereading, and I, I looked at it this evening at the author, a young college student, he was going through his graduate uh, master's degree in, in teaching at the time, and he wrote, David, I just wanted to let you know that your book offered me tremendous strength and hope as I've walked through a difficult time. Thank you for sharing your story. The Lord used it powerfully in my life. I'm thankful for you both, uh, for both you and your family. With love, Joe. Uh, soon after the book came out, Will, I was invited to speak at a counseling center in Michigan, actually, mm-hmm. and there were about 100 individuals present. It was a regular, like a midday, noontime Bible study at this counseling center, and after the event, I, I spoke about forgiveness primarily and how it's good and right and healthy for us to forgive, and I even used the stories of, from the Bible of King David, how King Saul tried to kill him at least two times that we know of, and yet... He refused to raise his hand and strike the king when he had the opportunity, at least a couple of times. And that's recorded in in, in the Bible, and I talked about those stories and forgiveness. So a lady came up to me after the event with tears streaming down her face, a wrinkled face, a white-haired lady. And it was so precious, she said to me, David, pray for me that I can forgive my husband's boss. I said, well, ma'am, tell me your story. She said, seven years ago. My son, my, sorry, my husband was injured in an accident on the job. He was 100% disabled, and he was in the hospital for months. He has not been able to work. He never will be able to work again, and we are destitute. And my husband was fired the very day he was injured. He was not given any type of workman's compensation support or help from his employer, and I've been so angry with this boss. And I said, ma'am, I am so sorry to hear of your struggles I'm so sorry. I can't imagine the difficulty you're going through, but ma'am, I just want to make sure you 
you appreciated one thing that I tried to communicate today, and that was this. Just because you choose to forgive someone who's wronged you or you feel has wronged you doesn't mean you're excusing their action, their behaviors. In fact, I have a little quote from my book where I wrote referring to the donor who gave the HIV-contaminated blood that my son received. I, I said that I learned that with God's help I could forgive the man of this misdeed, although his action was inexcusable, it was forgivable. And, of course, if I've been forgiven much, why should I not forgive someone else? At any rate, I shared that with her. She went her way. I went my way. But three days later, Will, I was invited back to that same center mm -hmm. to speak to a smaller group of men in the morning. A small, like two dozen men, something like that, had breakfast. And I shared some stories similar. I don't know that any of the men were there Tuesday, and I shared about this lady. I certainly didn't identify her. I didn't even know her name. Mm -hmm. And a gentleman came up to me after the event. He said, David, I know who you were referring to when you mentioned the woman who wanted to forgive, needed to forgive her husband's boss. And I said, well, okay. He said, David, there's more to the story you should know. He said, I'm on the board of directors here, so I'm aware of different stories and people that have, you know, come and been served here by our, our ministry, our counselors. And he said, this lady's uh, her husband's boss, with whom she's been so angry for seven years, he died four years ago. And Will, I thought to myself, no one has given this dear, sweet lady permission to forgive. No one has explained to her, and she hasn't appreciated somehow that she could forgive and still not say what he did was okay, because we get the misguided notion, Will, I think sometimes that if I choose to forgive, I'm saying what this person did that was wrong. Was right. Yeah, amen. Not okay. It will never be okay. Forgiveness is just what is right and good for you. By the way, if you don't forgive that person, are they going to suffer? No. Or are you? It's you. Right. It's me. If I don't forgive, the one who suffers, why would I let myself be held in that prison and pain of bitterness. Choose to forgive. Yeah. So you mentioned quite a few times you've referenced the Bible. So it speaks of your relationship with God. But during, throughout all of this, did you ever get angry or did you ever question God for allowing this to happen to you? You know, well, it is so important, I believe, to be honest. In fact, when I was um, probably when my son was about a year and a half, two years old, mm -hmm. we were going through some difficult times. My military career uh, was, was, was very much adversely affected by the extra attention I needed to devote to this child. And we believe it directly, indirectly, but really certainly made a real impact on, on, on not being promoted some higher ranks and what have you. But I was invited to teach a class on suffering, at a Christian bookstore in, mm -hmm. in um, I think it was uh, Indiana, Illinois, sorry, and just east of the Mississippi River, east of St. Louis. And so I did that, a little six-week session, nine, 90 minutes for Saturday morning, and just really enjoyed it. One of the books I read as I was doing my study preparation was a book entitled Sit Down, God, I'm Angry. I unfortunately have forgotten the author's name at the moment, but it was a pastor whose 17-year-old son mm -hmm. dove into a lake, and it was too shallow, broke his neck, died after being on a coma, in a coma for a few days. And this pastor, as a father, used to say to his children, if you're angry with your parents' children, ask us to sit down. Here's a special chair, a big high back red chair. And they learned and they taught their children, it's okay to be angry with the authority, your parent or God, and admit that anger. 
In fact, God is big enough to take our anger. And I certainly agree and believe that's healthy to admit. I had a friend from Okinawa. I was the worship leader at our church. She was the keyboard player, so she knew me well. We worked together closely. She sent me an email one day. She saw these email, or I think we had an early website at that time that we used to update people about our son's status. And she said to me one day, David, in this email, she said, David, you, you sound too strong. Mm-hmm. I think you're hiding some hurt. I think you're angry. I think you're angry with God, but you're not courageous enough to admit it. And, you know, she, she, she read my mail, so to speak, with those words mm-hmm. because they were spot on. And I thank God for this dear lady and, and friend to this day because those words helped, helped me come to the realization that I needed to deal with God because my wife actually during that time, she confided in a friend. We had been Christians. I had been a believer in Jesus Christ since 19 years old, mm-hmm. was converted as a freshman at the U.S. Air Force Academy. And this young lady had been a Christian from a teenage years, my wife, and she feared her husband was perhaps going to turn from his faith and turn from God mm-hmm. during this time, the time that we came to refer to as the Caleb years, the three and a half years of my son's life and the three and a half years of grieving after his death, that seven-year period. But you know, Will, God in his graciousness was very patient and forgiving with me. Right. And I chose, in fact, there's a little quote I might just share with you uh, from my book about faith. And I say this, evidence of true faith is the determination to trust God when that which he allows makes no sense mm-hmm. and is utterly disagreeable. In other words, I did not agree that it was the right thing to let my son be infected with HIV, with heart disease, with the myriad of other problems he had. I didn't think the right thing to do was to allow him to suddenly, unexpectedly die and shock us all. I didn't think the right thing to do was not (laughs) understand what behavior the donor engaged in to put my son at risk. But I decided, I chose to get trust in God and not be overcome, not be defined by my grief and my angst and my sorrow, but choose to overcome, admitting my, my angst. One, one last story I'll share with you. I was in Tel Aviv, Israel, flying a corporate pilot trip, and a lady there uh, uh, up in a little lounge in the top floor of the hotel, we're actually restricted to the hotel in Tel Aviv due to some, some violence locally, and I was working on my Hebrew alphabet since, since, since college. I hadn't really done much with it, and, and the lady was helping, and somehow... As we went through the Hebrew alphabet, something about my son, Khalid, Caleb, came up mm-hmm. and his death. And she looked at me and said, have you wailed, W-A-I-D-D, wailed? I said, well, I'm, I'm not so sure I've wailed. What do you mean? It had been only maybe a year, year and a half at the most since my son had died. Mm-hmm. She said, well, we wail. We hire wailers to surround us in a circle for two weeks so we can just wail when a loved one dies. And they wail around us. And they're so loud, no one hears what's wailing inside. Mm-hmm. I said to my wife when I returned from Tel Aviv on that trip, I said, Kathy, I think I need to do that. I explained to her what they told me, she told me. And you know, Will, so many of us, we just refuse to wail. Our culture isn't very welcoming to wailing <laughs> publicly or when anyone else can hear. True. <laughs> but true. I think sometimes the right thing to do when you grieve is to wail. Mm-hmm. Because if you grieve that way and are honest with your emotion, I believe, you will be able to grieve through it and be healthy in body and mind and heart 
much more quickly. Awesome. Well, you know what, David, you've given us um, some a good insight into what the Caleb years of, um, are all about, and especially what you and your family have gone through and how you found strength through. How can people um, get a copy of your book, and if they need to reach out to you, where, where are some, real quickly, where are some um, avenues they can do to contact you? Thank you, Will. The book is available at most any traditional um, brick-and-mortar bookstore. It may not be on the shelf, but it certainly is available to be ordered. Our, our um, distributor is one of the nationwide well-connected distributors, mm-hmm. and certainly it's available if you go to the Internet, search around at any of the electronic websites. In fact, I do have a website, and it can be ordered through the website from a myriad of different distributors. One of which is in South Africa because I spend a lot of time there, and I love my South African friends who've enjoyed the book. Um, in London, it's in fact it's available in India, and in Japan, and China, and, and all kinds of different places. Though it's only in English at the moment. And my website is thecalebyears.com, no spaces, just T H E C A L E B Y E A R S dot com, and I have. Numerous links and places there. Uh, someone can click on um, request or schedule author, meaning schedule me, request to schedule me for an event. I speak to Rotary clubs, church Bible groups, men's groups, women's groups, different things of that nature. And, and with my corporate pilot duties and other business um, responsibilities, I try to schedule as far out in advance as possible, but I'm happy to work with folks wherever they may be. And, and if I can serve their needs and support their program in any way, with, with the program, we talk about forgiveness. We talk about sometimes even what it's like to be in the difficult position of a caregiver mm-hmm. because caregivers sometimes get really beat up and burned out, and they're not very smart, as we sometimes were, and they don't take time for themselves, but they need to. And we enjoy talking with parents, especially of, of children that have difficult, difficult medical situations. We mm-hmm. deal with a lot of those parents in different places, so we'd love to have anyone reach out to us and we can help in any way in that way in particular. Awesome. Awesome. Well, David, thank you so much for taking time of your day to come on the show. We appreciate it. Yes, sir. Will, I've enjoyed it very much. You have a great day. Good evening, sir. God bless you. God bless you, too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Great. You know what? We're going to still answer this question that someone asked. Can you repeat the question for us? Yes. The question that was asked on our um, live stream on Facebook is, what influences you? So who wants to start? Nathan? What influences me is people of influence. I love to be uh, surrounded by great people, um, have great friends. Um, I don't have a large friend circle, but most of all of my friends influence me in some way. Um, we all on a quest to be very successful. So my friends and great, just being around great thinkers and being in, be able to attend events and functions where, you know, I'm being influenced by great people that are in the area or in the industry or authors or public speakers, um, so I'm so what influenced me is great people of influence. Oh, okay. Um I'll let you go. Okay. Um very um simple and may sound a little cliche, but it's just honest. Um my people of influence are my parents, you know. 
how they raised me, the standard that they set in so many areas of their life has truly just, it's been what's been able to sustain me through difficult times. And mm. I thank them and I, I honor my parents and I love them, even though I may not have always understood why they did what they did or what they instilled in me. I, I truly value them and I aspire to be everything that they were and give that to my children. So definitely my parents are my credible others and my people of influence. That's awesome. Um, I think for myself, if I had to answer, you know, if I had to, to narrow it down to one thing, it would be probably um, the possibility. Possibility influences me. Um, I'm always coming up with different things to do. That's why people always say, you know, you, you're doing so much in this because God always gives me a vision for something. So that keeps me going. I think once I stop getting those visions, I'll probably shrivel up and die. But as long as God gives me, keeps giving me visions and the possibility of things that I can become, um, I'll keep going. So I'll just say the possibility of great things is, is probably what keeps me going. Yeah. Nikki, you have a response? What keeps you going? Your cell phone? <laughs> what keeps me going? Yeah, um, your, your inspiration. I, I would probably say, of course, God Almighty. Mm-hmm. And giving me the opportunity to continue to walk in my identity. Yeah. That's that's what really keeps me going. And then, of course, my children mm-hmm. and my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's something that's very powerful for me. That's my motivation, especially mm-hmm. in a uh, few of my clients. You know, I really dive into their energy. I Thank you. Energy. I was going to talk about that. When you said energy, I knew that. <laughs> but I love my Just clients. So I love shame. what they do. And that's why I am so grateful that I am selective as to who I work with. Right. Because I know Important. I can't work with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, like people like Wendy. Mm-hmm. Can't, can't work with me. Can't, mm-hmm. can't work with me. But, you know, people like Will, I can work with him mm-hmm. even when it's difficult, very mm-hmm. difficult. Yeah. Not very, but okay. <laughs> okay. Wait, I'm going to cut you off. All right. Well, thank you so much, <laughs> Sarita Shares, for coming on. Yes. I appreciate it. And Nate for taking time out. Always. Um, I know that you me. said that you you told your boss that you were sick. Mm-hmm. Hopefully he's tuning well. in. I'm yes. not feeling, feeling well. well. <laughs> Jesus, I'm not feeling well. <laughs> yes. But hopefully you enjoyed the experience, Sarita, and that, you know, you can come back. I will definitely be back, guys. Right. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Everyone else, make sure you tune in next week. We have Jacoby the Bouvier and Miss Robin Thomas, my co-worker, who's going to be the special guest. We also have, um, I think our guests are talking about next week, um, the making of a real man. And we have how to deal with anger, mm-hmm. which is something somebody that I need to talk to, how to deal with anger. Mm-hmm. That's next week. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he needs that. But until next week, everybody be blessed. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Let's Face It with Will Strayhorn and Friends. We ask that you visit www.letsfaceitradio.com for up-to-date information on future shows, special guests, advertising opportunities, and exciting interactive ways that you can be a part of the show. Join us next week, same time, same place, for real people, real topics, real talk. Let's face it.
I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800 Quicken or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate Shield approval only valid on certain 30 year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. What's in store for your business this week at Staples? Cases and cases of confidence. Staples can help give you the confidence that your business is ready for the year ahead with all the supplies you need. Like paper. And right now, when you buy a 10-ream case of Staples multipurpose paper, you get one free. So you can be confident you're ready for whatever business comes your way. Buy one case of Staples multipurpose paper, get one free. Now at Staples, where there's a whole lot in store. In-store only, limit 10. Valid through 1519. 